Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Thanks so much for being here. You can find hundreds of other episodes of this show at abriefchat.com, where you can also become a member of the Patreon. And if you do, uh, at the $1 level, you get a weekly email from me with links and photos and stories and stuff. And if you join at the $5 level, you get that. Oh, you also get early access to every episode at the $1 level. At the $5 level, you get all of that. Plus, every month I do a bonus episode, which is a real grab bag of stuff. The most recent one was uh, me reading my own poems and talking about them because there is no amount of self-indulgence that is too much for a Patreon episode. Uh, I'm very happy uh, in this episode to welcome a dear friend of mine to talk about a topic that uh, we have talked about to some degree, but I think I will, like probably most folks who are listening to this, be learning as we go. Uh, my friend Chandra Crouch is here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. Great to have you. And I put out a call in the Patreon for uh, people who had ideas about topics, and you suggested perhaps we could talk about ethical hedonism. I only know that that is a thing that exists because I know you. And so it may be the case that most listeners to this show are hipper than I am. But can we start just at the absolute 101 level by kind of defining our terms? What uh, When you use the phrase ethical hedonism, what do you mean? So I probably should end the fact that I think I've just made this term up. Okay, perfect. So I don't, I don't know that it has a meaning outside of my own experience. And so I'm going to be, so I, I'm mostly talking here, I'm mostly talking about my own experience. And I think, and this is, and I think the reason I threw this out there, not only because you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, but because I think a lot of people find it, um, counterintuitive. Okay. Um, so for me, you know, why, why throw ethical in front of hedonism? And I think for me, it's really about the fact that it's quite, it's quite thoughtful, you know, it's to differentiate it, I think, from the sort of from the harmful sort of self indulgent, self centered, abusive, manipulative version of hedonism that I think a lot of people say, and is certainly sort of present in popular media, I think, um, Portrait of Dorian Gray is probably the book that everybody thinks about when they when they think of hedonism, you know, that sort of very self-destructive, very, very cruel, very callous. And that's not that's not really what I'm doing. And I hope that anybody who knows me and who has seen my life from any sort of proximity would not associate any of those values with me. I don't think in all of that that we actually defined the term at all. So what do you okay. mean when you use the term ethical hedonism? So Ethical. So let's start with the word hedonism, I think. So hedonism is really about, it's about pleasure. It's about sensuality. It's about exploring the world through one's senses. And it's about, I think it's about pleasure, but it's also about, I use it in a way to center my body and center that sensory experience in the world. So hedonism, I think, and I, and I like the word hedonism. First of all, I think it's just a great word. I think it's a fun word to say. Um, and I, I like, I like some of the cognitive dissonance that it causes with people. And so it's, it sort of begs the question, like, what is it? What are we doing? Like, is it, is it an ism in the way that other isms are? Or is, or is this really about centering sort of one's own experience in one's body, one experience in the world and that interaction between body and senses and the world around us? So that that's what sort of hedonism is for me. Ethical bit, I think that that it's trying to differentiate it, you know, from some of the more harmful stereotypes. It's about you know doing it in a principled way, um, doing it in a way that is authentic and sort of it furthers my own authenticity and and 
encounters with the world that are constructive, radical, joyful, and connective fundamentally. Like I do, I do really believe in sort of pleasure and the body and the sensories, the sensory, the sensuality as a as a force for good in the world and as a force for good connections out in the world. And so that's that's kind of how that comes together for me in a nutshell. To whatever degree you are comfortable talking about this, and hopefully that degree is more than none, because otherwise I think we're probably done with this conversation. But to whatever degree you're comfortable talking about this, can you give some concrete examples of how this practice manifests in your life? And particularly, I guess, the the whole concept of ethical as well as hedonism? So... I mean, it's sort of threaded through my entire existence. I'm an extremely embodied person. I live very deeply in my body and that that has always been true. And this came about for me as I was doing a lot of healing, coming out of a very difficult time in my in my teenage years. Um, content warning for any for anybody out there. I am going to talk a little bit about um, disordered eating. So if, that, if that's going to be a problem, maybe maybe a skip forward. A, half, you know, 30 seconds or something. Um, But yes, I was coming out of um, a really difficult period in my sort of my late teens. I was in therapy for the first time. I was talking about, you know, this dysfunctional relationship that I had with my body and I had with food. And one of the ways that, you know, my therapist and I sort of hit on back then is, is my capacity for pleasure. You know, if, if food becomes something that isn't just a a method to fuel my body and something that I have to obsess over and look at, but actually becomes a source of pleasure. And I think what really started it was as a source of connection, right? The advice that I had was to never eat alone, you know, to eat with other people. And actually, you know, I think, and I link that back up to how I grew up, like meals were always very social, um, you know, whether it was my immediate family or a wider family or friends and, you know, and it, and that sort of transformed it. And I realized that actually there was, there was pleasure in the doing of the thing as well as the pleasure of the having of the thing. And for me, this connection of something that was highly problematic and something that had become in my brain a source of control and dysfunction and transforming that into something that was pleasurable and a source of connection, I think is that was sort of the root of sort of exploring this. And then it sort of expands outward you know, from there, it then becomes about all kinds of sensory experiences and finding, you know, but I think food is kind of really the big one. You know, we all have to eat and how we choose to do that can, you know, matters a lot, right? We can do that just to fuel our bodies, which is also perfectly valid. We can do that in a way that brings us together with other people. And that's something that I'm actually really passionate about this, this bringing together of other humans in a space. I am, I am somebody who gets a lot of joy out of throwing a dinner party, Um, you know, to, to the process of creating, you know, thinking about and creating a meal and creating an experience for people who then come around my table and not only enjoy the food that I've made, but also each other's company. And we have wonderful conversations and there's lots of laughter and, you know, and some thoughtful exchanges like that, that to me, I think is, is the most embodied moment. And like, those are the sorts of moments that just make my heart sing and to pull people together in a way that, you know, unites us and kind of gives us a common grounding, I think is, is transformative. And so that's, you know, that's using sort of sensory and sort of pleasure as a way of connecting with people. And that's, that's hugely important to me. 
And if we come back to the copy, uh, the, the copy, the concept of ethical in the context of what you just said, is there something about the way you do those things that it moves it out of the realm of what you would see as sim- purely pleasure based and into something, into something deeper? I mean, is it those conversations? Is it, is it more than that? I mean, you know, I mean, hedonism is is more than just food, and we can talk we can talk more about some of the other aspects. But I, you know, I think keeping in the realm of food, you know, it's about. I've been thinking a lot currently about should I become a vegetarian or not. Um, I've always I've always been an omnivore, and for me, it's it's this interaction of my ethical system of my morality, um, which for me is very deeply rooted in in the Quakers. And I sort of being a Quaker hedonist is probably one of the most mind bending things I think probably. <laughs> Anybody would say anybody who's has an experience of Quakers and sort of hears that there's a hedonistic one might might find that a bit strange. But you know, for me, like this is where, you know, this experience of the world is like where the rubber really meets the road for my own morality. And, you know, for me, you know, this this rub between, you know, not only for, you know, animal rights reasons, you know, and sort of the well-being of the planet, but also like is is this you know, should I, you know, should I sort of issue eating meat for sort of a whole variety of reasons? Like, is is my ethical system moving me in that direction? And so the pleasure that I choose to take needs to sort of fit within that ethical system, needs to fit within my moral framework. Um, the people that I invite around my table, um, you know, the friendships that I choose to foster, you know, really, you know, thinking, you know, carefully, you know, when one puts together sort of the cast list for a dinner party you know you're thinking about who's going to get along with each other whose thoughts might bounce off who who might need to meet whom at a particular time and sort of sort of to create opportunities for connections that may sort of echo past those moments so it's it's not just about the pleasure it is about the pleasure but it's using this pleasure to sort of further other things um and it can be, you know, and in, in when I start thinking about also my my sexuality, my sensuality, like it can also be quite radical. Um, and it can foster, you know, there's conversations that will have, people will have to have over food where, you know, there might be disagreements that actually, you know, that smooths it over. Like that's a very human thing to bring each other together over food. Like that is always the way that we make connections with each other, you know, across lots of different cultures and different spaces. So, uh, so far uh, what you've described um can you, uh, maybe can you help me understand how what you've described so far exists in this realm of the concept of hedonism because i mean having dinner parties with friends and having conversations is a very common thing and i've done Mm. it a million times and i don't think of that as hedonism it's just people coming over to eat and getting together so um maybe that means we have to bring in other elements of your life or something but um uh, but i'm curious maybe even why you feel the need to def- to define it but um once you started to define it how this word hedonism felt like it applied to the things that you're describing so for me it's it's a broader experience and for me it's deeply rooted to pleasure in the body you know i and because i am a very embodied person i often i often know when things are right enough by how i feel within my body um so, you know, dinner parties are merely one example. And I would actually argue that everybody doing that is engaging in a bit of hedonism. You know, when you give thought to the food that you eat and when you give thought to the people that are around your table, you know, when you seek out connection and when you seek out connection 
in the physical realm, like for me, that kind of brings this in. It's like, what is it that brings us pleasure? What is it that brings us into connection with other people? And it's wide ranging. You know, it can be, you know, dinner parties we have. It can be the way that we conduct our relationships, our intimate relationships, the way that we choose to engage with the world sexually or not. Um, it can be the clothes that we choose to wear and like how that fits on our skin. For me, it's all about this sensory feeling and being in the body and and engaging with the world in that embodied way. It's not an intellectual exercise. Like, yes, we need to put our minds to work, but actually, you know, not neglecting, you know, it's almost putting the body at least on a par with the mind and using the body to inform the mind about what's going on with us and what's going on with ourselves. Well, that's interesting uh, hearing you describe it that way because um, uh, almost all of the words that you use there, I would say, could pretty easily be used by a person who was describing what it felt to like live in the present in a Buddhist way, mm. for for example. Although I'm not sure the pleasure principle would factor in there quite quite as strongly <laughs> in that realm. But I mean, there's there are there are definitely many traditions, and that's the one I know mm. the best. Where um, one thing we are trying to do is not just stay in the stories in our heads, but but understand how we feel things in our body. So for example, for many of the years that I spent sitting on a cushion, um, one of the things I was often uh, trying to do was understand where certain emotions sat in my body. Mm. Um, and, and through understanding that to have a more healthy relationship with them. Um, mm. I, I don't think the end goal of that I don't think most people in, I guess, in the Buddhist world would define the end goal of that as pleasure, but it's not that far away. It's not that many yeah. more steps. Um, so yeah, you, you've mentioned uh, sensuality and sexuality a couple of times. And I'm, I'm curious uh, that in my mind, I can imagine where all of a sudden the word ethical would take on more weight in that, in that world. But maybe that doesn't mm. ring true for you. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, so I, I think this is probably where where we, we now start using some other 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 big concepts. So I I identify as bisexual, so I'm attracted to a range of genders, both my own and others. Um, I'm polyamorous, so I have multiple loving concurrent relationships, and and this is kind of and the and the hedonism sort of informs both of those two things by the ways that that then manifests in my life so you know not not all polyamorous people not all bisexual people think this way but and this this is where i start getting into some potential damaging stereotypes so so take this as my experience and my experience only <laughs> you know and because i am such an embodied person you know the way that i engage with with people in an authentic way the way i share my body with others either sexually or sensually is really important to me and the choices that we make about how we do that and the communications and the boundaries that we set. Um, you know, so if one, you know, whether that's bilaterally or whether that's in a group situation, you know, making sure that that we are making good choices for the right reasons and that everybody is consenting to what's going on and that, you know, maintaining that sort of ongoing culture of consent, but rooting it in pleasure. You know, these aren't just rules for rules sake. These are rules to not only keep everybody safe, but to maximize everybody's potential for the pleasure that they want to have in that particular moment and in that particular room. And that's true, whether or not that's sex, whether that's something more sensual, whether that's a, a, a dance class, you know, I'm, a, I'm also a dancer and I find extreme great pleasure in moving my body. And that to me is, is hedonistic because there's no point to it 
sometimes other than just the pleasure of it. And for me, the pleasure of it is reason enough. I don't, and sometimes it can facilitate a transcendental experience, like using the body to, so I'm not a Buddhist, but I am a Quaker, which also involves sort of sitting still for periods of time and sort of really sort of checking in. And I think maybe where the Quakers don't necessarily have a strong tradition, you know, have a very different sort of much more intellectual, it's usually described in a very intellectual way, you know, how you settle in for meeting for worship, how you settle into sitting. But, you know, for me, like I have to ground myself physically in the room first. You know, I have to really, you know, feel, you know, I often take off my shoes in meeting for worship, really sort of grounding my feet on the floor, sitting in the chair. And I sometimes I don't even sit in a chair. Sometimes I'll sit on the floor in meeting for worship. And I've got a very indulgent meeting who doesn't mind that, you know, so it's it's finding that sort of way in. It's like, where is my breath? today you know is is my arthritis kicking off in a way that i need to sit in a different way you know it's it's really the clothes that i choose to wear to meeting for worship and how those feel on my skin does this create you know is it you know does that feel in the right way that's going to engender kind of the sort of experience that i want to have so it's it's really touching in the scent that i might choose to wear for meeting for worship and there's been meeting houses that i've not gone back to because the smell i find so off-putting and not because the smell is necessarily a problem per se you know it's not a bad smell but just because i that smell doesn't is distracting to me in whatever way um the sounds that are in the in the meeting room you know really grounding myself in the sensory experience of sitting there who else is in the room the sound of their breath the sound of the rustling of the other people and using that as you know to connect myself down into the moment but then also then to connect me out to the others in the room and finding that space to then yeah sit what am I feeling like where is this tension holding and like what is that telling me and how do I release that and when somebody stands up to give ministry and somebody speaks in a Quaker meeting which is obviously different than a Buddhist meditation what what does that engender in my body and how how can the pleasure the the displeasure that that feel the discomfort that that feel what does that tell me about what I need to know. So for me, yeah, there's lots of different ways to sort of engage with these things. But for me, it's about it's about tuning into the physical. It's about tuning into the pleasure. And it's about using that as the grounding for everything else. I'm noticing a couple interesting emotional reactions that I'm having to some of the words. So for example, I noticed that when I use, when you or I in this conversation use the word pleasure, Mm. I can feel a kind of negative reaction inside myself to that word. And I think, I don't know, this might go back to like early Catholic guilt or something. I really don't know. But I I think there's, there's, or maybe being a Depeche Mode fan, uh, because there's some famous Depeche Mode songs that have kind of a dark connotation on the word pleasure. But I do kind of wonder if I am to some degree conditioned to think that pleasure is not a thing we deserve or that it is that the idea of pleasure is inherently hedonistic or inherently kind of overstepping some kind of boundary that like pleasure should not be a goal of things that we do. And I know that I've used the phrase like take pleasure in before, but that feels different. Like we're thinking of pleasure Mm -hmm. as a noun, as like a thing to go out and cultivate and receive and experience. I can feel some resistance in inside myself to that, to that very concept. So I'm curious whether you felt that kind of resistance and had to push through it, whether you've never reacted that way to the word, how other, maybe how other people react when you talk about this, this principle of pleasure and this, and this real acceptance, this idea that it's something we all deserve. 
Absolutely, we all deserve it. And I was also raised Catholic. And so, yeah, I had a huge amount of work that I had to do to kind of get over that guilt and to get over this, oh, I shouldn't have this. And oh, if, if, it, feel, if it feels good, you know, there's there's that old saying, I, I don't know if anybody actually said it when I was in the Catholic church or if it was just sort of implied, but if it feels good, it's probably a sin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and for me, this is kind of part of my queerness. And it's like, well, where does that story come from? And like, why is that true? Like why? And, you know, if you think about the word sin as meaning to err, right, to make a mistake or to stray from God's path or God's intention for you, it's like, why is, why would a divine being, and I'm a God person, so forget, like, this is, this is going to get perhaps a little bit weird for some of your listeners, but, you know, as somebody, as somebody who does have, have a connection with the divine, why would God put us in these bodies? Why would God give us such a capacity for pleasure and then put it all off limits? Like that doesn't make any fundamental sense to me. And I think in some ways, denying us pleasure is a, one of the ways in which that the system controls us and, or tries to channel it. It's like pleasure is buying a new pair of sneakers. Pleasure is this other thing. Like, you know, I, you know, pleasure is sort of a very powerful marketing tool. But if we, if we look at that more radically and we say, actually, I'm going to tune into my body. I'm going to tune into what gives me pleasure. Like that might not be a 250 pound pair of trainers. Sorry, I live in the UK. So pounds, dollars, whatever. That might be sitting in the garden and stroking a flower for 10 minutes. That might be sun on my skin. That might be a glass of fizzy water rather than flat. <laughs> you know, it's, it might be an apple instead of, or it might be a chocolate bar instead of an apple in that moment. But like, what do I really want? Like what really feels good? And, you know, when I come back to the sex, it's like coming back into my body in the moment. Like what actually feels good to me right now? What actually is the thing that my body is craving? What does my body want out of this moment? Like what, what sets my soul alight with joy? And why shouldn't that be true? In the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, in our friendships, in our work where that's possible, you know, capital capitalism, I I I do think like this tendency to say you're not allowed to have pleasure unless it fits this very narrow band is a way that the system controls us. And as somebody who is queer and as somebody who is socialized as a woman, although I do have a lot of other privileges, both socioeconomic and racial, but you know, there, you know, for me, this sort of connecting into my pleasure and connecting into my inherent right to pleasure, like as a form of activism, you know, we're coming up on pride in London at this weekend and, you know, nothing sets people who, you know, homophobes out more than queer joy in the streets, right? Like it's, it is a radical, and people say, you know, pride is a protest, but actually pride is also two fingers up to the establishment. You can't take away our joy. And, you know, I, I, you know, while I'm not a member of the black community, you start to hear black people also talking about this. Actually, you know what, we're going to take these moments of joy for what they are. And we're, you know, yeah, we're going to slog through it. And yes, we're going to push for radical change. But we're also going to celebrate our victories and we're going to celebrate each other from time to time. And we, you know, you need that. Life can't all just be hard work. Like we have to have these moments of lightness and these moments of joy and these moments of collective joy and pleasure to connect us and, and nurture us in order to have, you know, I, you know, if you think about the Puritans and you think about this extremely 
restrictive lifestyle? Like what keeps you there? So, you know, the hope that maybe someday in the afterlife, you might have a nice time. Or, or do we live our lives today as if this is, as, and, and make this world as close to heaven on earth as we can get. And that's going to include pleasure. Can you, this doesn't, we, uh, this show doesn't, you know, necessarily serve as a, as a guide for the topic that it discusses, but I am curious if you can offer listeners any kind of beginning tips to, you know, how, how to start feeling more embodied or how, how to start operating from a position of pleasure. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you've outlined a lot of ways in your life that this principle intersects with the various ways that you live your life. And some of those ways might be common to folks listening mm-hmm. and some of them won't be, but it feels like there's a universality to what you're talking about that people could find a way to engage with regardless of the ways in which they actually live their life. So yeah, I'm curious if there's anything you feel like you could say about maybe thinking back to the early days of your own journey with this Um how folks might start thinking about this in their own lives. I mean, for me, it was, you know, is that really what we just talked about, you know, it was the realization that I do deserve pleasure, you know, and finding and finding that those sort of moments in my body and really checking in, you know, we don't deserve it at the expense of others. You know, it has to be, it has to, you know, I think it's, you know, checking in with one's own value systems, checking in with one's own body, like, where am I right now? You know, I think, and I'm going to use this example, Jason, because I, I know you, and I know we share this passion for tea, right? And, you know, the tea ceremony, you know, whether you're doing it in the Japanese style, which is, you know, very ritualized and really very beautiful. And like, it's it's an austere beauty, but it's all, you know, it's creating these moments of real beauty around a very simple act. But even like making the cup first cup of tea in the morning or the last one before you go to bed, just like really paying attention to it. You know, what it, you know, from the choosing, it's like, what really smells good, you know, smelling, sort of holding the bag up to your face and like really breathing it in and like, is this the smell that I want? Is this the taste that I want? And that, you know, choose it, you know, and, you know, choose the little pleasures in the world. It's like, do I, do I want to wear this shirt today or that one? Which one feels best on my skin today? Um you know, taking taking a moment, you know, choosing one thing in your everyday life that is beautiful to you, that is that is meaningful to you, or maybe not even meaningful to you, but like one thing that doesn't hurt anybody else and like finding the way to truly appreciate that and experience it completely. And then center your own pleasure in that one moment from the cup of tea that you make to the clothes that you put on your body to the conversations that you have with people in your life. It's like, who do I really want to hear from? today? Who have I not spoken to recently? Which connections do I want to foster today? You know, which which experience do I want to center in my time that's free? And I, I, I sell my time to capitalism as everybody else does. But yeah, just finding finding that one moment, finding, I think it's, for me, it was finding my in, you know, finding that thing that can, where you can give yourself permission to experience pleasure and to and then to find those moments and spread those moments out throughout your life and then and then use that as a vehicle for then how does my ethics inform this you know that would then be a next step 
Well, you've anticipated um, my next or possibly final question, which is, are there are there questions you ask yourself or feelings you watch out for to help keep those pleasures within whatever ethical framework you've created for yourself? I think it, yeah, it really depends on, I, you know, right now I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, about what I buy, um, about the clothes, you know, I've, I've got too many clothes <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm really trying to be much more intentional. You know, what, what am I at? You know, when, when I see another pretty shiny thing, do I really need it? Like what, what, what is it that's attracting me? Is it just a beautiful thing? And am I, and, and am I just content that it exists in the world? And is that enough? Do, or, you know, is there, it, does it fill a particular niche that I need? Actually, do I not have a black skirt? And so actually my wardrobe needs one because I'm going to wear that to work or I've got this event coming up or it, you know, I, I will wear it regularly. You know, it's, it's making sure it's checking in with kind of where I, where I am. It's like that, Ooh, shiny, you know, that, that child part of our brain that sort of reaches out for the lovely things. And so, and then it's, you know, it's that little adult voice that goes, okay, that's interesting. Noticing, checking in, you know, do I, is that something I really need? So for me, I think that that's my current place that I am at, you know, is this something I really need? Is this a want? Sometimes wants are okay. Not all wants are bad, but like, what is this, what is this want furthering? You know, if, if I want that beautiful thing, would it be better, you know, it would be better to buy it from a place that makes it ethically you know, in terms of people not being exploited in terms of the water and the resources that it uses. Should I get it from the, a charity shop rather than necessarily buy it new? Um, should I support an independent designer with this choice? Like it's, and you know, we can we can sometimes make the choices more complicated. And I find that if I'm spending more time thinking about should I, then the thing is worth that it's probably not worth <laughs> Then the answer is probably no. So, you know, it, it's about just, it's the way that we engage ethical choices in any other part of our life, just by by thinking about it and checking in. And I can tell in my body if I've kind of done something that doesn't feel quite right, because it's, I get this constriction, I get this congestion. Like I, it, it, yeah, I feel like I sort of, I shrink and I compress down in a way that feels really wrong. Whereas, you know, when I'm living my best life, like when I'm in, when I'm vibing, when I'm moving through the world, in connection with my ethics and as far as that we can do that in the systems that we live in like there's a looseness and you know and when my body is good and i'm feeding my body and i'm moving my body and i'm doing the things that i need to do to be well like there's a looseness and a lightness and so you know that you know that checking in with my body and checking in where i am and checking in with my mind especially when the depression starts coming in it's like what is this and you know for me the pleasure and the sensory is a way out of that, those dark spirals as well. My guest is my dear friend, Chandra Crouch. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk about this. It's uh, I feel like it's a, a topic where there are endless levels of possible exploration. And I'm glad we got to start that conversation today. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I, I appreciate you making space for it. You've been listening to A Brief Chat. You can find hundreds of other episodes of the show, some of which are conversations like this and some of which are other things at abriefchat.com. You can also support the show by becoming a member at patreon.com slash abriefchat where you'll get early access and bonus material and weekly emails and all kinds of cool stuff. So if that sounds good to you and you want to support the work that I do, you can go to patreon.com slash abriefchat. I'm Jason Crane. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next time on A Brief Chat. Please.